Yeah, just apply some baby powder on the rash in between the thigh and the mid gooch and you will avoid plastic going in your taint and uh realize she ain't a saint unless you uh make it wider than paint and uh then you get shanked in the tailbone when you're Drop the dove soap at the county jail. But yeah. But yeah, nothing like good old hard days of work. Especially if the hard day is because you get a anal bleach like supposedly Serena Williams has. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Nelson. I'm your host, Clint Nelson. Don't forget to like, follow, comment, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Most poor ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to suck some titties and milk those likes in. Yeah, recording this at 6.17 a.m. Eastern on November 12th, 2023 for the archives. And uh, leave a review. Leave a four and a half star review. I don't accept five stars. Only four and a half or better, you know. Gotta be realistic with your peeps. Because I roasted a few marshmallows in my day. And then they turned into bad snow bunnies. Um, <laughs> I'm such a fool. But hey, there's s'mores for that. Nope. Okay. This whole podcast is just an easy bake oven. I turn the light bulb on and you get some sparkle cookie dough cookies, which I actually did see somewhere. It was cookie dough flavored cookies. And I'm like, well, if you just bake a cookie, it's technically cookie dough baked cookies. It'd be like if you bake a chicken, you don't have to say it's chicken flavored. It's chicken. I don't know. Um, yeah. A step in the balls. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, they say cats. They say when they see ghosts, they get this hyper feeling about them they start pacing around they start sprinting and you know sometimes it's got to be a sacrificial lamb to the claws and it's not the white claws that will make you enjoy the afternoon it's a type of claws that can turn a normal nice afternoon to a, a bloody salem witch trial um if gone awry bread Cause boy, I have toasted mine recently on gambling. Um, <laughs> don't worry, it's all good. Like good burger. If I were Keenan and Kel, I'd say, "Welcome to Good Burger." Um, <laughs> nothing wrong with having a good burger type of mentality, you know. 
You should always be excited for your job. I go to too many places and people just aren't excited. You know, you go to some pizza places. You know, you go to order. Yeah, it's like, hey, what specials you got? And they just point to the menu. You're like, it's not really a special. But you know, you can't be mad at them. Not everyone has a passion for what they do. Uh, Because, you know, sometimes you're passionate from miles away. Regardless of the things you say. No. Uh... You know, there are songs where you just have a imagery of it. That song Passion Fruit by Drake. When I think of that song, I think of a lake that I used to go on my off days when I moved into my first place. Because, you know, you move into your first place, you're like, oh, I'm going to do so many things different. I'm going to, you know, go to places, have my isolation time. And I used to go to this lake like once every week. And I'll just walk on the beach. Well, not even the beach. It'd really just be kind of this weird trail in the woods because the beach would actually be closed. And there would always be some Corona broken bottles and some police observing the area because really people would just go there to pop a few things. And it was typically teenagers losing their virginity. So... Um, good for them, you know. I'm a supportive guy, but I don't want to be a witness to that. Because legal reasons, and I do not care to watch people uh, have a little sand in their feet. Weighing heavy on me. And sometimes, wrong place, wrong time is a real thing, you know. They say timing is everything in life. Imagine if you're just going about your day, and then you... Are just walking on a public beach and you see two underage people doing some inappropriate things. It's like, well, now you're a witness to uh, underage sex. It's like you didn't do anything, but if you stay too long and you walk by it and you witness it too long, then you may be technically. A predator. Even if you're not really watching. You may try to sprint away. God forbid. If you're someone who's actually a registered offender. As I was saying. As I was saying. It's one thing if you're like a registered offender. And you are. You know. Just minding your business, following the rules. And you're going across the beach. And this happens. And part of your regulations, like, hey, you are not supposed to be around kids or teenagers underage because of your history of doing things or soliciting. And you were actually, you know, you cleaned your image. It's been 12 years and you've actually tried to become a good member of society, learn from your mistakes, and you're taking a walk with your uh, spiritual mind and recovering, forgiving yourself type of book. And oh my God. Hey, I'm doing an episode.
God. But anyways, as I was saying, sorry, a few distractions. I'm not talking about the air conditioning. I am AC Slater, except when I wear a tank top, it gets a little cool and hot. Um, but yeah, that would suck. You do all the right things, but wrong place and wrong time, and you're back in the slammer for 40 years where you are the most targeted and most hated individual in that society, in any society. It's weird how out here we're more accepting to be cordial or just to be not confrontational about being around those people. I say those people. But, you know, people who are offenders. But in the prison, where most of them have done some of the worst and some of the tamest things, they all have a consensual agreement that they hate you. They don't care about why you're that. They just don't like you. So, yeah, more of the story of all that is, is sometimes just don't take a walk on the beach. Just stay home. You'll avoid a lot of potential issues. They say the best way to prevent things you don't want in your life is to prevent putting yourself in those situations. So, just be a hermit crab. And it'll be pretty hard to get crabs. Um, <laughs> even though if you uh, do like to slam the Krabby Patty, uh, <laughs> Mr. Krabs will hire you on the spot. And you will be charged minimally for the $50 morning after pill. <laughs> the crabby pity. Um, yeah. Nothing like going slappy till you get a little taparoo. Man, you know, sometimes you just need a night. You ever have those times where you just kind of want to, you know, get fucked up? Not necessarily in a drug or alcohol sense. Sometimes you just want to. Get fucked up. It could be you just want to go out and get in a fight. No reason. You just have some built-up anger. Now, if you drink along with it, it make a lot more fun. If you get knocked out, it's a double negative. So when you wake up, it'll be a positive. Because if you were drunk as fuck when you got knocked out, it's two negatives. You should wake up and whatever headache and fluid you had in your system and all the concussing and all the brains move around, the blood all over the place, the broken teeth, the broken nose, the broken jaw. When you wake up, it should all be numb. It should all not hurt at all, right? That's why when people try to say like, oh, life is just one big math equation. It's like, well, if we took every math principle and brought the real life, some of it would translate, you know, you do have to use proper common sense equations to get to the solution of a problem like you know pythagorean theorem theorem pythagorean theorem 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 bugs um <laughs> uh, if you do the a square plus b square equals c square it's like okay it's like anything okay 
if you have to solve a, let's just say a financial issue, a budgeting issue, it's like, okay, A square is the problem. The thing that's cost you money. The B square is the budget. What do I have to do to cost it? So I break out even and not in a negative in this department. And the equal is the final result of the problem, your action, and C is the solution or the result. So it's like the two negatives equal actually a positive. It's like when people say like, you know what? I'm so glad I went bankrupt. I'm so glad I got in a car accident hit by a drunk driver with no insurance. Because you know what that taught me? It taught me that I need to change some things in my life. It taught me that, you know what? One day everything could be going fine. The next day it's all gone. And going through that situation made me resilient. It made me stronger. It's like, or... There's not a single motherfucker that told you not to get insurance on your vehicle. There's not a single person that told you you needed to go to a quick trip to just leave the house every night for no reason to get some taquitos. Yeah, like, you know know that person that's just like, they always just in their car doing fucking nothing. They're just going around, parking in front of a Planet Fitness, getting high as fuck, texting someone while their car's on. It's kind of counterproductive. You could text without the car on. I don't understand people leave their car on. When they're just sitting there. It's like just the constant battery outlet. You know, the power you're making your vehicle use. And I get it. It's that new car syndrome. Especially when people are younger. They get their first vehicle. They first get their driver's license. But it's, it's even... When I see people, I'm like, you know what? You could just, you know, you'd be better off just living in the vehicle with how much they're in it, you know? But, you know, what do I know? I know nothing. It's not like when I've had my car on for three hours straight, it went off and completely shut off in the middle of a Taco Bell. Um, <laughs> oh, those were the days. When the shifts were optional. Um, <laughs> no, Jesus. I miss that time in my life. When I could just. Sit in a Taco Bell parking lot. And just. Do what people do in the Taco Bell parking lot. Which is ignore any real responsibility in life. Ignore that. You know what? I should probably just go to work. And you're like. Yeah, you know, sometimes you need a night out for yourself. You got to live moss. And uh been living moss ever since. Without the PEMDAS. Because no matter how much I parenthesize, I'll exponentiate and multiply the problems. And then divide the money I have in half. And then add excuses to why I don't want to work. And then subtract everything I said previous. So, like I said, life is just one big math equation. That's why when people used to say math doesn't apply to life. It's not the adding. It's not the subtracting. Of course, all the equations and theorems specifically, you're not going to have to have a, you know, a guide for specific things in life. It is the translation 
of problems have to be solved. And you have to have equations to solve the problem. It's like, how do I, you know, subscribe to Clint? Well, you hit the subscribe button. I've solved your problem. How do you like the video? You hit the thumbs up. I just solved yours and my problem. Um, how do I get a sponsor from Dunkin'? Well, you keep drinking their shit throughout your show. And then, you know, they get free promo and they're like, thanks. We didn't have to pay ass wipe. And you're like, yeah. And that didn't solve my problem. But free advertising. And that's why YouTube is the best, most profitable margin. Like, that's why, like, I was actually watching some earlier. They were talking about streaming. They were talking about the business of quote unquote content. I hate that word, content. Like, it's such a generic word because it can mean literally anything. Why not just say, like, I hate content creators? Just fucking say you make videos of shit. And just say what specifically it is. Just say, I'm a content creator. It's the most lazy fucking generic. It's like when someone says, it's like you don't just, oh, someone says they're a doctor. Like, typically you're like, oh, what part of doctor stuff do you do? It's like, oh, I'm an engineer. Like, oh, what are you an engineer? You know, there's specificness. But, I don't know. But, oh, but yeah. It's like, because they were breaking down the streaming services, the Netflixes, the HBO, the Hulus. You know, all the streaming services that said we're never going to be like TV. And then now they all are just ad driven and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, how do you think they're going to fucking make money? And the dude broke it down. It's like Netflix spends like, I don't know, like 20 billion a year. And like HBO spends like X amount billion. Just to actually fund the projects, their personal projects, and all that stuff. And they are all actually really chasing YouTube. Because even though YouTube splits their revenue with their people. With their quote-unquote content creators. I fucking hate that term. I don't don't know how else to say it. They have to spend literally zero dollars for people. To make them money. Like it's just like. Hey guys. We have unlimited shit you can find. And we spend literally no money to these people. For them to. Make their shit. They actually just make us money. And it's like. Yeah you have a part of the revenue. And we could demonetize. If we don't want your videos making money. And we'll just take the money anyways. It's a pretty good system. Like, that's the real monopoly. You know, YouTube is made to be like this freedom place. And it is. Really, when you think about it, they're actually in charge of whether, how much you get paid on a day-to-day basis. And you can't really do much about it. Like, there's legal cases with YouTube as a whole. But... There's not individuals going to court with YouTube. Because the court you're going to is the YouTube court bylaws. Like, hey, you guys realize, like, we can just kick you the fuck off if you want to be too much of a problem. So all you people that want to bitch and complain, uh, you could suck YouTube's big old wee-wee and uh, piss away your whole career. And that's why YouTubers are, like, kind of at mercy to that shit. 
That's why they're making all these crying videos when they get demonetized or when their channel gets deleted. Like, that's why Fresh and Fit literally, literally cried. Like, you know, like, they didn't cry when he got exposed for being an FBI agent. They didn't cry when they had the legal issues and shit. They didn't cry when they were being exposed for things, they had cry. They they lost their shit and cry when their channel got demonetized. It didn't get deleted. This got demonetized. That's how you know the power when you make grown men cry and make videos. Thirty year old dudes on here, like I'm thirty seven and you know I have no friends. And I'm not making fun of those people. But this is tight. Like, when you don't have to pay no one, you get anyone to make this shit, you know? In that video, a man crying about his problems. He's exposing himself. Him being, breaking that third wall of being personal. It's like they say there's three barriers to, uh, to someone. There is the attraction version. That's the barrier of whether people... Continue watching you or listen to you is little attraction. That doesn't mean just like they're physically attracted. It could mean the attraction of their presentation of themselves, how they carry themselves, their voice. The attract what that does. Then there's a second one where it's the barrier wall of their vulnerability, how open they are. And I forgot the third one, but the third one was obviously the third one for a reason. No one gives a fuck. But yeah, that is. An interesting business plan, but obviously very effective. I mean, look, I mean, YouTube is just kind of one big monopoly. I mean, there's really no competition for what they do. You have these other rumbles and Patreons that are used for individual paying services that people, it's like, but there's not like, you know, there's no YouTube and what it would take for someone to build a similar site for people to go to and to have to build that audience like that it would take years and years and the thing that YouTube has others don't is they are owned and powered by Google and the search engine so literally anything you type into Google if you're looking for stuff or any keywords the search engine is going to be a combination of websites and direct videos to YouTube I'll have the video right there. So they have that in favor. So basically, you're fucked. <laughs> you gotta deal with it. Honestly, YouTube could sit here and be like, hey, you know what? You guys, we're gonna fuck the 50-50 shit. We'll just give you guys 20% of the revenue. And you'll hear all these people complaining and stuff and all that. And then they'll still be posting trying to get their 20% of revenue. I hope that doesn't happen, but, you know, I'm like Sierra, I'm like a boy, with a dollar in a dream, uh, yeah, you know, I, you know, they've all, you know, people always talk about J. Cole and Nia Long, even though it seems like Jeezy is starting to get a little media for the long run. <laughs> it 
and Emo, but Ime Udoka is still killing it with the Rockets. Woo. That dude can coach. And uh, any of the Rockets owners and operation staff, watch out. Um, it's all, all, all the ladies are for the taking. Which actually reminds me. So I came across this uh, Jeannie Buss. She's the daughter of Dr. Buss, the guy who bought the Lakers, essentially. Now, look, she's always been this, like... Look, obviously, she's in L.A. She's obviously had some work done, probably on her body. Not criticizing. But she just looks astounding for her age. You know, she's very busty, as the kids say. But she went from being with the Zen Master, Phil Jack. She's like maybe like 40-something, maybe, maybe 50. But she's like, looks like she's like late 30s, but like a young late 30s. She keeps up with herself well. But the point I'm trying to make here as get lost in the sauce a little bit. Is that it just goes to show when I saw this profile of her, how pathetic the boyfriend can come off in these situations. She went from being one of those women that you could definitely tell loves being with the age gap, like being with someone who's insanely older, like Phil Jackson, who's like 70 something, or she would probably be with someone who's like. 2021 so you know there's a reason why d'angelo russell's back for his second stint with the team all right he didn't get much better he just you know he probably knows a few things um (laughs) so look i'll bring you back on a nice contract if you uh you know finally use your scoop and layup for good um (laughs) just don't blow my secret's out like you did Nick Young. Um, <laughs> damn, him and Nicky. What could have been? Um, <laughs> I guess uh, she wasn't so fancy. <laughs> but no. So there was this profile that Basically, this there's a show called In-Depth with Graham Bensinger. He basically does like 30-minute, hour-long like type of pieces. Think of it like an E60 type of thing, but it's more just a personal one-on-one profile. He kind of goes through a story of someone, interviews them throughout, goes to places with them, gets an idea, goes through their life, you know, all that stuff. She had one on Jeannie Buss. And then a part of it. I don't know if the whole thing, I haven't watched the whole thing, but based off the clips they put out, a good portion has to focus on her now boyfriend, who I guess they've been together for a couple years, and it's this comedian, form, well, comedian slash podcaster, but really like more of on the comedian side, who's had some stealing jokes controversy. He used to be like on top. One of the top ones in the world because of TV and stuff like that. But then kind of got exposed to some things. His career kind of went down. But that's not really the point. And someone made a point, and I can't stop seeing it now. 
in the comments, someone randomly said, he would be a great <laughs> Mr. Incredible. And I was like, I can't stop seeing it because his hair and his face, if he just put on like 60 pounds of like beefiness and muscle, he would look like Mr. Incredible. No cap. No cap. But, um, this is a woman who's worth hundreds of millions of dollars, comes from an affluent family who owns the fucking Lakers, works for the Lakers. And it actually seems to be pretty competent at her job. She actually, you know, she comes from money, nepotism, people would say, but at least she actually seems to be part of the day-by-day operations. At least she actually seems like she's competent at her job. So, whatever. But she's with this guy who's like a struggle, just the definition of struggle. Apparently, during their relationship, she, this guy had an opioid addiction, legitimate addiction, alcohol, stuff like that. And her, and she apparently left for a period of time and even said like, yes, I started dating other people. But she just couldn't leave him because she got attached to his daughter. Not their daughter. His daughter from a previous situation, whatever. Got attached to his daughter. And this is why, and you know what that opened up to me? I was like, this is exactly why you don't introduce your children. Or you don't allow yourself to be introduced to someone's children. Until... You're actually like both until like the person who's being presented to the child. Both people are stable because obviously this dude had issues. And I think honestly, from his standpoint, when you have children, you should be a lot more iffy. You should be a lot more like hesitant to just introduce your child to every girl or every guy that you're kind of dating in a way. Like, I'm sure there were precautions. I'm pretty sure there were pre- But it's like, because you know, like, now she, then she gets attached to your child. Then now she's going to feel kind of guilty and justify staying with you. Regardless of all these problems you're presenting to her. When she, at her level, does not have to deal with all that stuff. With your opioid, alcoholic Bitch ass. Alright, that was a bit harsh. I'm not shitting on a guy for having issues. But hearing her talk is like... So basically the way she's putting this... It's like you literally only stay with this guy... Who's not like thriving in his career at his point. But so Jimmy like... Not really doing much. So she's with a guy who is the definition of... If she, in her girlfriend's group, if she has a girl's friend group, they are basically saying about this guy that you're with this guy. And it's one thing to be with a guy that's so below you in that sense. But to have those issues attached to it. And it just goes to show that it don't matter how much money you have, what great. And honestly, I have a theory about this. I think because she comes from great, you know, she comes from uh, stableness. 
She comes from money. She comes from all that. Sometimes people, when they come from that and they have everything in place and they're stable people and they have a good job on top of that and everything's fine, they have to seek that weirdness, that craziness, that that unstableness outside. So I think she likes kind of like the weird stuff. She likes being with the 70-year-old dude who, you know, the greatest coach of all time who coaches. <laughs> it's like, that's the definition of some HR fuckery. Let's just call it what it is. Like, the coach is dating or, ma- like, they were dating when she was, like, in the organization as, like, a VP or whatever her position is. And then when he was a GM or vice president for the Knicks they were together and then they broke up it's like all this weird stuff you went from the greatest successful coach 11 rings Phil Jackson to Jay Moore I don't even know of a comparison to make for a downgrade that would be like going from Michael B. Jordan to me. Alright. It's cool. It's like, hey. It's not bad. Like, you know. You get a lot of benefits from me. But this dude's fucking Creed. All three. Alright. Um, <laughs> it would be like. If you went from the Creed Michael B. Jordan. To the Fantastic Four version of Michael B. Jordan. Like. And they have tried to scrap that movie anywhere. You cannot find that shit, man. But I'll give you a fantastic four minutes. Huh? Huh? But yeah, Jay. Um Yeah. I found that interesting because it was like this weird thing. I'm like, am I really watching? A woman that's worth like nine figures who literally is part owner of an organization. Am I really watching someone who's a part owner of an organization really sit here being with a struggle comedian opioid addict? And the only reason why she wouldn't because she's attached to his daughter. Oh man, that just kind of shows, man. Like, it don't matter where you come from, all that shit. People are attached to drama. People are attached to projects, right? I I just don't get it. Like, for me to be honest, like, if I was the own, like, I mean, I wouldn't even now, and I have no business to have like requirements, you know. Um. <laughs> But if I was a part owner of an NBA franchise, I am not taking no op- no opioid alcoholic girl. <laughs> like I'm I'm not even dealing with friends that have that issue. Like I'm gonna be like, hey man, go to rehab, I'll fund your rehab, and get the fuck away from me. Alright? Fix your problems and stay away from me. Alright? It's not me you got apologized for. Apologize to your kids. Your wife. All the above. But yeah, 
I don't know. I found that interesting. Yeah. But you know what else is interesting? Good toes. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm vanilla, baby. Something about choke, but I won't kill you, baby. Yeah, loving it. So, you know what? You know, I thought about this the other day, right? And this is kind of a weird thing to randomly think about. But, what would be the first thing if I had a child, you know, today? Today, Junior. Um, if I had a child today, what is the first movie I would show them? What is the first movie where, like, I felt like when they were able to actually comprehend at the age where they could actually comprehend something of what they're watching, where if they watch it, they'll actually have an imagery of remembering stuff about it? What is the first movie I would show them? Because I actually kind of believe... Because they say the first three years is like going to dictate how they are the rest of their life. It's going to dictate their interests. It's going to dictate. So it's like, would I want to introduce my child to like a very funny comedy movie like Adam Sandler classic, like Big Daddy or The Water Boy or Happy Gilmore? So he can kind of grow up and have that like, you know, loose self, not take himself too serious. But, you know, have a wholesome, good personality, kind of be into that stuff. Or would I, because that might make him more of an individual thinker, someone who's actually a, who's into things that are critically acclaimed, someone that's actually has a uh, pulse on reality and a humor about themselves. Or would I have him watch like Transformers or on these Marvel movies, or Thor, because you know, hey daddy, it's you, um, <laughs> and be like, yeah, we make the same amount, son, never think different, except unlike him, I don't skip leg day, <laughs> you don't have a dad that skips leg day, <laughs> I just skipped every other day, um, <laughs> but, I got a nice Aussie accent. Um, <laughs> that would be cool. Like if you go to Australia or you go to a zoo. Like I wish there could be like a ride or an option. Like they have a trained kangaroo where you, you can like fit your child into their pouch. And the kangaroo can hop around. Like I don't know. That would be a cool experience. Probably not safe at all. And then if you have an incident where like you know. Harambe I think was the big gorilla. That when the kid dropped down, he just snatched. He just snatched that kid. It's nothing to joke about because, uh, yeah, the kid died. But you know what? Maybe watch your kids. Crazy thought. Um, when you're around six hundred pound animals have been trapped in the thing for so long. But yeah. Um, but. What will be the first movie I'll watch? 
because of you know if I show them the Transformers, the Marvel movies, the DC movies, then you know what? Then my fears they become commercialized like everyone else. They become just like everyone else. Oh, it's digestible. It's unnecessary long. Everyone likes it. It makes a lot of money. So you know what? If someone makes money, then that means that you should automatically listen to what they have to say. Or if someone makes money, it must be good. It's like not everyone that makes money is good. Not everything that makes money is necessarily good money. You know, it sets that precedent to just be general as fuck. I don't want my kid to be generic as fuck. You know, I don't want my kid to be one of these weird kids that when he goes to school and, you know, he's always like, he's always like that annoying kid that thinks he knows it all because, you know, he has interest in Bill Nye, the science guy, and then goes to school, like starts talking shit and actually like reads on global issues. Like, I don't want my 12 year old talking about the Israel Gaza thing. I, like, it's like, hey, you know, you should still be trying to find out, you know, where Israel is on the map, you know? How about you learn the history before you start talking about, you know, Palestine and stuff? But then again, then what he'll realize when he gets older is that it doesn't matter what age you are. People will talk about subjects in generic fashion then have you try to donate to donations of things that sound like good but it doesn't tell the whole story of are you really sure this charity is actually the right cause to donate for because the opposite part is actually probably what you should be donating for you're donating to contribute more to harm but i'm not going to touch on that but yeah any woo woo um but yeah you know i just want i think at the earliest age you shouldn't introduce them to such Or would I want to show them like some intense movies like The Dark Knight or like the new Batman movie where it's like so dark? Or would I want to show them like The Joker? I know those are like decent, but I mean like darker thing where it's like, damn, do I want to show them how cool it is to be a, you know, a psychopath? It's like, hey, you're going to see kids like this. So you got to introduce them at a young age, you know? Or she just kind of show them all one day. He's like, you know what, son, today? We're going on a crash course. I'm going to show you the good, the bad, and the reality of everything you're going to experience in your life all today. I'm going to pick out the three best movies that indicate that. Form, manually, I am actively forming my son's personality by the movies I show him in this one day when he's like four and a half years old. And his whole life, I'm going to be able to shape it, predict it, and make him my little claymation. And then for him, to, when he's 15, completely, you know, <laughs> go to juvie after he stabs a kid in the neck because he talked back to him. And because he watched the Joker, he started laughing hysterically after. And they said, uh, he's a psychopath. And they're looking at my, my medical history. Like, oh, your dad, when he was 13 years old, was on this, so it must be in your DNA. It's like, actually, it's not in his DNA. I taught him to do this. And then I go to prison for, you know, not prison, but, you know, probably uh, child protective services take me away from my son. And then he's raised by, you know, his stepmother. And, um, 
then uh you know i realized like man i hate <laughs> i hate the stepmother i married you know um <laughs> i just gave the crazy ex- example of her. but yeah so but yeah I would still love my child anyways. But that's a weird thing. Like, how do you deal with that? If your child becomes, like, a murderer or a, you know, I don't even want to say the word because, you know, YouTube will, like, completely just fuck me in the ass on this video. But if he's, like, a serial blank offender, you know, the R word, it's like... How much blame do you take for what your child becomes as a young adult when they commit these heinous acts that if you felt like you raised them a certain way, but then they got around some people influenced, like they got into drugs and shit. It's like, you're obviously going to take blame for that, but like, damn, it's like, it's hard to believe like when someone like the Columbine mother who did that TED talk, which is insane, the fact that she's like, Completely like, yep, my son is the one that shot up that school. And, you know, he was nor Like, you know, he had issues like every... And it's like, imagine if you're like one of the parents of one of the kids. Like, oh, well, that's nice that you got to live to tell about it, get millions of views and be able to write a book and then profit off what your son did. That's that's great. You know, that, that sounds actually fantastic. Yeah, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad you got the fine light in the darkness while my my child would be 31 today and, you know, be living a great, nice life, supposedly, you know? But, you know what, your son decided to take his own hands and, like, you know what, I know what's best. And then you're going to do these TED Talks. It's insane. It's insane that the TED Talk would even let it happen. But I guess that's the point of a TED Talk, you know? They won't actually have Ted, you know, the teddy bear. But Imagine if they did that for, like, pedophiles. The Ped Talk. <laughs> the Ped Talk. That'd be some wild shit, though. But, yeah. Um, more people are... You know, it's weird. More people... Crazy... You know, it kind of brought back to, speaking of pets, like PEDs, performance-enhancing drugs, in baseball, in sports, it is like this thing that, like, no one will even, I mean, obviously, you don't admit it because you'll get suspended shit, <laughs> but there are more predators out there that are more willing to be forthcoming and are, I wouldn't say, well, some may be proud of it, but they are more than willing to admit the things they're into, what they're attracted to, the acts they've committed. Because I've seen some YouTube videos of just, even from like the 80s and 90s, they'll just say in these interviews what they like, exactly what they did, and it is disturbing stuff. But they are more comfortable saying to society that they're attracted to minors and things they have done and all that shit. But athletes have to be on eggshells of if they took some D-ball or if they took some extra test. It's like, have you seen Barry Bonds' forearms? 
Look at that man's head. That man injected like a strawberry kiwi into his head. <laughs> that dude's got an outer line cranium the size of Uranus, the planet. Um, <laughs> that's how you plan it. Um, <laughs> but we have people out here admitting doing crazy shit. And people admitting like the most heinous stuff. But with athletes, we got to like... Hold them to this crazy standard that they got to meet this and that. You know, the older I get, the more weird I think this role model with athletes things are. I used to think like, man, you know, it matters to grow the game and all that shit. Older I get, and the more you learn about like a lot of the stories of not even athletes, but just flawed people in general and how we expect more from athletes than we do our politicians. How we expect more from athletes than we do our parents. How more we expect from athletes than we do, you know, any like elected official. Anyone in real positions of power of stuff. We expect more from athletes. Because it's an easy scapegoat. They're easier to market. It's easier for people to care now there's more invested in it. There should be a minimal level of just like, hey, professionalism, media, you know, being there for the kids and being a good, like, on the surface, like, just don't do any really bad shit, you know. But, like, they got to go above and beyond, answer everything correctly, not. And it's created really a false sense of reality. Because now we have these things called brands, which is people masked images of what they want people to think of them. But it's not necessarily who they really are. And they come off as phony. And that's when you get these Russell Wilsons type of things going where no one believes anything to do saying because he's not going to say anything that's even remotely controversial. And he comes off as phony and it actually kind of creates a weird different story than when people talk the truth about what it's like playing with him, how a lot of teammates don't like him. It's like, well, this is actually close to reality, but this image has people blinded, right? It creates a barrier of protection. LeBron James, even though I think for the most part, when you hear him in post games, you know, he'll say like, yeah, you know, fuck, you know, immediate, you'll see it like. He's, for the most part, as transparent as an athlete really kind of gets, but he still protects, it's obviously, he he has to protect his image in a lot of ways. He's got a lot of money with, you know, companies he owns now, shoes, shoe deals, commercials, how big he is, and especially having kids and stuff. He has to protect a lot of things, obviously. There is some, like, you know... Kobe was a lot more flagrant about, like, almost didn't care for the most part. Like, he had his image, the Black Mamba and brand deals and stuff, but Kobe just flat out say, like, nah, you know, everyone's fucking soft, you know, all this shit. Like, LeBron's, like, he's not doing that, but he's also not really, like, lying about nothing, per se. Well, maybe there's some things, but it's not that blatant, like the Russell Wilson stuff. And that's the thing, like... Athletes, they have so much now to lose. We get fined for crazy. Like, Josh Jacobs, a running back. Like, this whole, like, fining system they have in the NFL. I understand they get paid a lot of money. 
But I think finding finding contracts finding finding players for things that happen naturally on a field. Accidents happen. It's like, could you imagine, like, at your job, you would just get, like, a write-up or disciplinary action. At most, you would get suspended without pay if you did something pretty bad, you know? But, like, to sit here and get fined $21,000 because of a helmet rule or... There's this thing going on with socks. Like, it's crazy. Like, you'll get fined, like, $10,000 for socks. You get fined, like, 8000 and it doesn't even matter, like, necessarily how much your contract is. You could be a dude. There was this player. I think he's, like, a running back for the Colts or something. He gets paid, like, they broke it down. He got fined, like, 43800 some dollars or something. And he only got, I, I shouldn't say only, but his weekly check for that week was $45,000. Somewhere in that range. So, he basically... Really only made like seventeen to eighteen hundred that week. That's no different than you know something like a good portion of society who on a good week with a lot of overtime you'll be making fifteen hundred plus for the average person, depending on your job and stuff. And this guy is out here carrying the ball twenty two times for a nine billion dollar franchise, you know. And he's one of the lower paid people. On his team. It is this weird thing. And they say. Oh well all the fines go to charity. It's like really. What it really is. If we're going to be honest. It is a way to limit power. To the two players. Let's just call it what it is. It is a way to. Because the more money you take. The less power they have. In a business where contracts aren't guaranteed. Where the career is short. For 99% of players as is. Most players aren't getting a second contract. All these fines and stuff. They're really just these things in place. To kind of keep players in check. There should be rules. And there should be fines for egregious things. Like if you're a repeat offender. Of just targeting Vontez Burfick style. Or the Kareem Jackson dude on the Broncos. Where you had like four or five straight weeks of targeting these bad hits. Like, yes. Because that's the day. And they should be suspended for that shit. And I think he did. Um, But like these weird code violations. Socks. And stuff like, okay, if someone like does it like five times. Alright, I guess if they're aware of it and stuff. But all these like ticky tacky rules are just ways for NFL to kind of get their money back. Over money. The amount of money they didn't want to give probably in the first place. So I don't know. You know. It's not about being a player apologist. Like oh they're all millionaires. It's not about that. It's just kind of absurd that. A job can really find you. And only in sports. We kind of find it this acceptable thing. Because there's kind of this universal. Oh role model. It's this universal like oh. A lot of people like oh you get paid. $30 million to dribble a ball. You get paid $40 million to hit the ball four times a game. Like, oh, you get to play, you know, 18 weeks out of the year. And all it's like, hey, man, that's the market. So to be mad about that, 
But it's just kind of like the weird part is you're if you watch sports from young age and watch ESPN, like you get normalized to like, oh yeah, this player got fined eight thousand dollars. This player got fined thirty thousand dollars, and it's like, oh well, it's only because it's like two percent of their check that week, or it's only like, oh, like three percent of their salary for the whole year that they got fined. It's like. It's still a lot of fucking money, man. <laughs> I don't care if you're making if you're making three million three million if you're making three million dollars a year, you get fined twice for some hit, and you're repeat offender. So the second fine is simply more. If you get fined eighty thousand dollars for a three million dollar contract, that's still eighty thousand dollars. $80,000 is really at least like a couple years of college at a good school. Like, that's pretty substantial. I don't know, man. Just imagine if they start placing those in every day job. What if jobs did have the right to do that? What if you work at a warehouse? What if you work at, you know, just a restaurant? And you're a cook. You mess up someone's food twice. You forgot to put the... You forgot to make the country fried steak really fried. You breaded it wrong. Or, oh, they said they wanted no onions in their, you know, green bean mix. And you did. What if they're like, oh, well, there goes one hour of your paycheck today. It's like, oh, well, the extra tips that we're bringing to the kitchen, you're not getting your... Divided equal that. Like imagine if they did that. That would sound ludicrous. And be like hey man. People make mistakes. If anything. They're not doing your, their job. I'd rather you just fire me. Than just like start taking money away. Because then you're kind of controlling my pay. But still get work out of me. It's like if I'm not doing the job. Then just fucking fire me. Hey hey man. It's not working. I'm just going to let you go. Whatever. That's better than, like, taking money out while I'm still wasting my time doing shit, you know. I don't know, man. Um, but, yeah. On that note, I think I'm going to end the show here. I think I've done my due. To totally do. But, yeah. That was episode 234. Often be podcast with Clint Nelson. I am your host. Clint Nelson. Don't forget to like, follow, comment, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Most important, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to suck some titties because the battery's about to die. And you can always suck some titties, even if the camera does stop rolling. Keep that, kids. Ooh.